Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by the starters. Skeets, Tash, Trey, and Lee are the starters, and you can catch the guys every weeknight on NBA TV as they break down what's going on in and around the NBA. From the biggest storylines to the best of off-court antics from around the association, the starters cover it all. Head to NBA.com slash the starters for show clips and links to download their weekly deep dive podcast, The Drop. Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here in studio in Manhattan, Portland Trailblazers president of basketball operations, Neil O'Shea. I think you're going to enjoy listening to this show as much as I did recording it with Neil. Now let's get right to it. Welcome into our West Side Manhattan studios with Neil O'Shea, the president of basketball operations with the Blazers. Neil, how are you? I'm good. I'm back home. So this, things are good. This is your old hood. This is my old hood. This is my old hood. I used to uh, bartend La Barbette on 57th through 8th and 9th and walk 20 blocks to my apartment a block from here. So so this is my comfort zone. There's fewer pizza parlors and a lot more boutiques, but it's still the Upper West Side. Anybody who's bartended talks about it as something that prepares you as well as anything to deal with all the different kinds of people you're going to deal with in almost any career you go into, probably similar to... Uh, being a GM and all the different levels of people in the game and the business side that, that you got to deal with. Well, you know, I, you know, I started out bartending because as a lacrosse player at Lemoyne, you know, I didn't have the disposable income that some other athletes to have in college. So, you know, I had to kind of help support my education. But, you know, coming back to New York, it was the greatest job in the world. You know, you had, you had every walk of life in there. You had guys going to grad school, you had actors, you had models, right? And, and then the customers, you know, it, it gave you an opportunity at a time when you're a young guy. That you have access with, with three feet of bar space in front of you to talk to Fortune 500 CEOs, captains of industry, you know, locals, celebrities. And, and what it does is it completely demystifies any hierarchy. Because when you're in New York, you don't have the same things you have in places like LA. Nobody knows what you drive. Everybody wears jeans and a black t-shirt and a pair of black cowboy boots. Everybody's the same. So, you know, it is. I mean, you, you know, you learn to communicate. You learn to talk with different people. You learn to enjoy your job. Um, I, I love bartending. And, you know, we talk about one of the great things about getting back to New York is you run into all the guys. You know, Barry Rorson, you know, Slice was working at Limelight. You know, we were working at, you know, La Barbat. We had guys working down at Canistels. And, you know, we all just kind of got together before the days of cell phones. We're all a bunch of ex-hoop guys that kind of were trying to figure out what to do with our lives. So we gravitated to New York, got behind the bar, worked the door someplace or managed a club. And then, you know, we'd hang out on the weekends and we'd go to the, the Rice-Raymonds game. Would you be amazed by what people would tell a bartender, that a perfect stranger, what people would be willing to tell you about their lives just sitting there over the course of a night? Well, that might have more to do with the alcohol. But, right. uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, La Barbat was probably a much more different environment than people, you know, people think, oh, old Irish pub, you know, the guy right. leaning on his elbow at the end of the bar, you know, telling your woes to. You know, La Barbat at the time was probably the hottest place in New York. So the volume of customers that we had right. was off the charts. So it was about speed. You know, it was, it was about having a little bit of personality and getting people, you know, to, to, to at the time drink $12 martinis at a place that should have been charging four bucks a pop. So, but it was, you know, it was interesting. You know, it was a way to, you had to connect really quickly with people and then move on to the next customer. You know, it's New York. You know, people don't exactly have the most patience in the world to wait while you tell a story to somebody at the bar. But, um, but like I, I always think fondly of it. And I always make sure when I'm back in New York, I walk past 57th Street. It's a place called Providence now. But, you know, there's an Irish bar next door called Desmond's. And after our shifts, myself, John Doberton, who scouts for us, mm -hmm. Slice, Bobby Gonzalez, who's the head coach of Manhattan and Seton Hall, you know, we'd go into Desmond's and hang out. 
And you had guys, you know, Peter O'Toole would come in. You know, Al Pacino would come in. It was a place that stayed open late. So you had guys that had shows on Broadway. You had bartenders. You had people working in the entertainment industry, bar business. And everybody would get in there. And by about 4 in the morning, they'd close the shades. And it almost turned into like this private club of people that either had figured their life out and were excelling. <laughs> right. You know, 30 blocks south down on, you know, in Broadway. Or people that were trying to figure their life out, you know, whatever career path they were taking. It was great. What borough was your dad a cop in? So... Before he had us, he was in Harlem. Uh, he was in Harlem for about 12 years, um, lived in Astoria, and then he was a police officer, patrolman in Harlem. Um, and then we moved out to Flushing uh, when we were born, when we started having my mom and dad started having a family. And then he was at the 111 on Bell Boulevard, and he was a patrol safety officer. So he dealt with all the schools, the crossing guards, the police, the in you know, we didn't have as much security back in those days, you know, unfortunately, you know, we do now, but, um, so that was, that was his, his station. So he was, uh, he was back in, uh, in Bayside. So I, I really didn't get away with much. I was going to say, you're probably limited in what, <laughs> I was, the, you had eyes and ears everywhere. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're Crocher on Park playing your fifth grade baseball game, your dad shows up in the patrol car to watch the game. <laughs> it kind of sets a tone for what you can and can't get away with. Well, it's been a natural progression, right? From kid around the city, lacrosse player at Lemoyne, a couple years of acting in the city. Moved to L.A., workout guy, and then to an NBA general manager. That's the track most people uh, <laughs> you know, take, no, right? you know, When you go to these seminars, that's basically how they draw it up. <laughs> Your team right now, Neil, third place in the West. When you mapped it out this season, and it's been so bunched up. I mean, like so you could go from third to eighth with back-to-back last night, losses. I mean, right? we, we could have dropped to sixth last night if, you know, if Damian doesn't pull another rabbit out of his hat. So, you know, that that's how quick. You know, we're, we're 12 games over. I mean, we've got, but we've only got a one game lead, you know, between us and, you know, Minnesota and OKC and those guys. And, you know, and it's going to be, it's going to be a battle, you know, these last 18 games. I mean, you know, everybody's playing for the same thing, which is to avoid Houston or Golden State in the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, nobody's taking nights off. Um, everybody's getting after it. You know, I mean, you look at a game like last night, you know, I think, you know, if you look at the schedule, you think, well, you know, that that's a game you should get. And then you realize, you know, the Lakers won 17. They've been 17 and 10 since January 1st. They've been really hot. They won five in a row. They're good at home. They've got great young players that are coming together. They, you know, they go pick up Isaiah Thomas, who can really hurt you off the bench. And um, he's hurt us in the past, you know, when he's been in Boston. And so, you know, last night was just like, that was a better win than it appeared on paper. And I think we're going to face a lot of that down the stretch. I mean, you're really playing playoff level basketball with playoff implications every night for basically the last 25% of the season. Have the Warriors, and listen, the Rockets, they're ahead of them. They're probably going to be the one seed, and, and but I still think people generally still look at the Warriors, that the Warriors at their best are going to be better than anybody else at their best. They're almost like looking in a funhouse mirror for other teams where you look at other teams in the West who are having great success like you are, and maybe other people don't get enough credit for the team building they've done for the rosters they have, because no matter what you've done, everything is measured against them, that there's like really good teams in that area that maybe don't get, let's say the respect, but it is difficult right now to be measured again, roster-wise against them because we've never seen anything like that roster. No, we haven't. I mean, I think we all know what Golden and Bob Myers and Joe Lacob and Steve have done is unprecedented. Um, you know, you're talking about a team who won a championship and then added one of the top three players in the NBA to their roster. I mean, it's just, it's in his prime. You know, it's just never happened before. Um, but you know, I give Daryl Morey a lot of credit. Um, you know, they didn't, they didn't put their head in the sand. You know, I mean, he went out, 
you know, he had one superstar, he added another. Um, he's got guys on that team that know their role. He hired a perfect coach for his system. And, you know, they're giving gold and everything they can handle during the regular season. I mean, you know, we get into the playoffs, we'll see. Um, you know, I think we're going to see a different Golden State team these last 20 games. You know, I, I think it's really hard. You know, Bob Myers described it to me as, you know, they're, they're a little bit like, you know, a band. You know, that's been touring for so long <laughs> right. that at some point, you know, you, you got to kind of catch your breath. And I think this was kind of a catch your breath, you know, season for them to a certain degree in that, you know, the infusion of Kevin last year elevated them once again. So there was no dip. You know, the irony is we're talking about they've got 14 losses in March. Right. Right. And we're talking about them having a rough go. I think that's what's amazing about the standard and how, you know, the level we hold them to. But look, they're, they're, I think even Daryl would admit they're still the team to beat. You know, uh, Toronto, you know, Masai and Dwayne have done an unbelievable job over in Toronto. And obviously Brad losing Gordon early in the year um, is clearly a coach of the year candidate with what he's done with that roster and the young guys they've brought along. So, you know, I think the league is in a great place because I think this makes for an exciting playoff season. You know, I, I don't think anybody's just going to write off, including, you know, including Houston or Golden State, that they can walk into a seven or eight matchup and think that they would be able to blow through it the way they may have thought they were going to be able to back in November, based on what you just said, the, the quality of player, the quality of team that they're going to have to play against, you know, come April. Where do the Blazers in your mind sort of fit into the hierarchy of your conference? Well, you know, the one thing is, you know, we're still the third youngest team in the league. And and I think people lose sight of that because, you know, Dame's in his sixth year. Um, you know, CJ's in his fifth year. And, and I think people have gotten accustomed to seeing them because they played such an integral role early in their career. But, you know, we've been building the back of the roster with younger guys. You know, look, I, I think really there is there's three groups. Uh, and I think you've got Golden and Houston right now. I don't know that anybody would have had Houston there back in October, but they've certainly moved into that position now. And then I think you've got basically three through 10, and it's a coin flip. Um, you know, I, I think we should all be impressed with what Utah has done. Um, you know, I remember being with Dennis back in December, and they really weren't worried. You know, they had some injuries. They had the toughest schedule in the league. And, you know, now they've won 15 out of 17, and they're in 10th. And I, I can tell you, nobody wants to see them on their on your schedule, you know, over the last 18 games. And I don't know that Houston or Golden, you know, want to look down at 1-8 or 2-7 and realize that's what you're going to have to contend with, you know, in the opening round. And um, you know, even, you know, look, look what the Clippers did. You know, they, they moved Blake, um, a little bit like our model from, you know, a few years ago. Uh, you know, we lost LaMarcus. I think they, they made a conscious decision to move Blake and then they brought in really good pieces. And, you know, Lawrence did a great job of maximizing value there. And they found some guys, you know, through the two way system, um, Tyrone Wallace and CJ Williams that have really contributed. So, you know, I think they're another team that you know, is going to scare some people because they're playing really good basketball. And I think, you know, less so Woj about the credit or who gets credit, who doesn't about, you know, what's perceived as success or failure at this point in the year or the alarmists that, you know, go overboard with the narrative early in the season based on the first 25 or 30 games. I think more importantly, we've got a lot of good basketball going on in the Western Conference. And I think that's what's really important is that you're playing really good basketball going into the season. And I think that's what we've been most happy with is this is the best basketball we've played in three years. Um, there's been other years where we've gone on bigger runs, you know, last year finishing up, you know, 14 and six, the last 20 games after we got Nurk. But I think as a group, as a collective, we have more guys contributing. And I think you see that across the board all the way through the 10th seed in the West that it's not just about the stars. It's your other guys, the complementary pieces that are playing at an elevated level and contributing to their teams. 
You know, Adam Silver has he's come out and said it publicly that he, the idea of reseeding the playoff teams is interesting to him, and there'll be more discussion about it. And my sense has always been, in talking to teams, you know, they needed twenty three out of thirty to do it. That it would be fifteen zero in the West would vote yes for that, <laughs> and then you would need you know basically half the East, and that would be difficult to get. Is it just natural that you would say? To me, and I think for the league, it's as much a tanking issue that if all of a sudden, you know, hypothetically, Dallas or you know even Utah, when they fell out, they'd say, well, you know, getting the eighth seed in the West doesn't mean Golden State or Houston. It might mean something else that that might address tanking as much more than maybe balancing out the postseason. That that's that's the dual effect of doing that. Well, again, you're right. I mean, I, you know, if you sat in a GM meeting and anybody brought this up as an initiative, you know, 15 hands go up from the Western Conference. And, you know, and I don't know that it's entirely fair. I mean, you know, I think right now we have a better record against the East, uh, you know, the Western Conference teams. And it is frustrating at times, you know, in the bottom, you know, the seven or eight seed from the West, you know, would be a mid-lottery team. You know, I think we saw that a few years ago with Atlanta where, you know, they made the playoffs as an eight seed. And if they had missed, they would have, they would have picked ninth. You know, um, and and I think we get into travel. Um, You know, I think we get into having it, but more so it's about balancing the schedule because, you know, having been a team that a couple of years ago we had to open up in Memphis, I mean, what's the difference between Memphis or Atlanta? I mean, unless you're going to get a Portland, Miami or a Portland, Orlando series, I mean, you're on a plane, you're on a plane, right? And look, and I, and I do think there's some equity to it. I think we've already lost divisions. Um, which I was disappointed in. I, I really was. I think they got a little bit diluted. You know, when you're you're like us and you're changing multiple time zones for OKC in Minnesota, is it really a division? You know, the way it was when I was at the Clippers and it was, you know, basically four California teams in Phoenix. You know, that's a division. So I do think we lose something in terms of the conferences, but but I, I think it's something we you know the league does a great job with data, and, and I think it has to be fair. You know, we're going through March Madness. Your guy Joe Lenardi right now, bracket to bracketology. <laughs> I mean, he he's on more TV right now than our president at some point. So, like, I mean, clearly people are interested in it, and I think there has to be an equity. And I think you see it with, you know, wanting to get, you know, college trying to get the best at-large teams in. And I think that's what's fair. Um, you know, because like it or not, you know, we're all judged. Coaches, players, executives are judged by the playoffs. I mean, that's the first bar. You know, are you a playoff team or are you a lottery team? And at some point, it isn't fair to be judged by, you know, a skewed standard that it is harder to make it in the West and it, and it should mean more. But like you said, when you look at what a team, you know, the, the ninth or tenth place team in the West this year, what they could do as a playoff team in the Eastern Conference, I, I think there's an inequity there that has to be balanced. Do you have any theories about why the West for such an extended period has just had better teams, better players. I mean, you go through the three all NBA teams from the last year and outside of LeBron and maybe one other player, they're all Western players. And, you know, I've heard everything from stability of ownership. If you look maybe team to team in the West to, you know, where teams are drafting when they, you got pretty good teams that are drafting who miss the playoffs who are drafting higher in the West when they miss lots of reasons, but, or is it just dumb luck? I think maybe it's cyclical, you know, um, but it's been that way since I've been in the league, you know, for the most part. You know, I I don't know. Uh, You know, I think it's hard to really quantify. And, you know, we sit in these meetings and try and put our – and I think if we could quantify it or put our finger on why, then maybe we could solve it and work toward, you know, some kind of resolution, whether it's playoff seedings, 
lottery reform, continued lottery reform that would balance it out. But, you know, and then you look at the irony of this year is how many players moved over, you know, from the East to the West that diluted it even more. You know, when you look at Jimmy, you know, by trade, Jimmy and Paul Mm and, um, you know, look, obviously, you know, I think, you know, people are, you know, I, I think two things that had to happen is I think people have to basically have a little bit of revisionist history now and go back and give Kevin Pritchard a lot more credit for that trade and Gar Foreman a lot more credit for those trades Mm -hmm. than they maybe got at the time, you know, based on the initial optics of it. But I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, it's the coaching. I think it's a rising tide, Woj, honestly. I I think when you join a conference where, you know, you had the Lakers, you had the Spurs as a gold standard, um, I think you just know you have to elevate your game. I mean, look at what, you know, Bob Myers and Joe Lacob have done in Golden State. I mean, you know, they wallowed in futility for, you know, for how many decades before the new ownership group came in and, you know, they hired Bob and, um, and what they've done. But, and I think that's really what it is. I think it's probably a lot like in college, right? When you join the SEC, you know, you're playing against Kentucky in football. It's Alabama, you know, and you, you go get a coaching job in the ACC, you know, you're recruiting against and coaching against, you know, Coach Shashevsky and Coach Williams and Duke Carolina. So you, you, you're not allowed to be complacent, you know, and, and I don't know that you get the luxury of as long a runway in the West, I, right? Which is the other thing. I think you see teams turning things around quicker, mm-hmm. knowing there's more of a sense of urgency because where the bar is so much higher for success and, and what it's going to take. I don't know that you can be cavalier about adding a couple of pieces and making gradual improvement. Mm-hmm. And think you can be a playoff team in the Western Conference. And I don't know that that's necessarily untrue in the East where you can keep rebuilding and have credibility while you're doing it because it's not going to take as extraordinary an effort to become a playoff team. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is sponsored by Gillette. Guys, I've been shaving for more than 30 years and I've tried a number of different shaving products, but I've always gone back to Gillette. Gillette is a brand that I trust and know will always give me the quality shave that I look for. Once I started using the Fusion Pro Shield, I knew there was no going back to any other razor. This razor helps shield your skin from irritation, allowing me to feel confident that I'm going to look my best for interviews on and off the air. Plus, the precision trimmer on the back is great for those hard-to-reach areas and styling facial hair. It also features a microcomb that helps guide stubble to the blades and has flex ball technology that moves to the shape of your face to get virtually every hair. Long gone are the days of having to run out to the store to buy razors. Now, thanks to Gillette On Demand, I can get Gillette Performance delivered straight to my front door. So forget forgetting to buy blades. Try Gillette On Demand to get Gillette Performance delivered straight to your door. Subscribe today and get every fourth order free. Visit Gillette online at www.gilletteondemand.com. As you built your roster in Portland and, you know, you've got two all-star level guards that are your, clearly your strength and then brought in, you know, Nurkic has at times been tremendous. He's been up and down at other times, but certainly he's shown the ability to, to really impact games and, you know, you've been active in trying to do big deals. There's a reason they're big because they're hard to do. And so, you know, you've tried to, you know, use the assets you have to, you know, go out in the marketplace and, and add a significant third piece, you know, like a lot of teams in your position. Um, how have you managed sort of the, the now of trying to win with this group and the ability to still, you know, move up in the draft, get a Zach Collins from Gonzaga, who I think by all within your program outside of Portland, 
you know, people see this as a player who has a chance to really be impactful down the road, sort of balancing the now and, and the future with a group where, hey, listen, you've got two star players who and an owner and organization that wants like we want to advance in the playoffs today. Well, you know, a couple, I think we're very lucky to have an owner that loves young players. Um, you know, you know, clearly, you know, anyone that was a technological visionary, you know, is going to be about the future. And, you know, so I think what we've had the luxury of doing is not going out and, you know, and trying to just add, you know, veterans kind of on the downside of their career to stay relevant, but try to build the infrastructure of the organization, you know, through the draft and, you know, acquiring guys that are maybe undervalued by their current teams, you know, guys like Mo Harkless, you know, we, you know, we, we got Al Camino and Ed Davis. They'd been on minimum contracts the previous season. And a lot of that comes down to, you know, trusting our scouting, but really trusting Terry and his staff. Uh, they do a phenomenal job with player development. Um, you know, we don't, we're one of the few teams in the league don't have a G League right. team. So our fan base, you know, doesn't necessarily see, you know, the development. And then they see guys come out of the blue, like a Pat Connaughton or an Alan Crabb or a Will Barton and guys like that. But we see it behind the scenes every day in practice. And, you know, and we see these guys getting better. So I think there's a luxury there, Woj, that, you know, what's happening is there's development happening where guys are becoming functional role rotation players sight unseen. And then we have the confidence to move them into the lineup. You know, we have, we've, we've tried to go get the big deals. Um, you know, we were very active at the draft. We put our picks in play. We were active later in the summer and, you know, we feel like, you know, it's incumbent upon us. We have an obligation to Dame and CJ and, you know, the guys in the roster to try and add that next guy, but it's got to be the right guy. And it's got to be an upgrade because we really believe in the guys we went out and got, the guys we've developed, and we owe it to them because they've contributed to two straight playoff teams since we've rebuilt after LaMarcus's departure. We've advanced once. They're great guys. We don't have a single player on our roster over 29 years of age. So we've got a runway here, but we're very protective of our culture. Um, you know, we want to make sure they fit not just on the court with the chemistry and our style of play, but in the locker room and, you know, and that culture is led by Damien and, you know, I, I, I run things by him and make sure, you know, is this the kind of guy, you know, we want to commit to long term that we're going to put assets in play to go get, is he going to buy into how we do things in Portland, which again, because of Damien's selflessness, it's a very utilitarian approach. You know, there isn't a lot of flash over substance there. I mean, Damian grinds it out every day in that practice facility, you know, the way that Shabazz Napier did, the way that, you know, right now Caleb Swanigan and Jake Lehman are. And he's the first guy in the building. Um, he eats with the young guys. He mentors the young guys. He takes them under their wing. He's out on the court last, you know, lathered up, getting a workout in. So we want to make sure anybody we bring in is willing to do things the way that we like to have them done because that's what's made us successful, even with the challenge of having to build strictly through the draft player development and trade where free agency is a much more difficult vehicle for us. You mentioned not having a G League team. Now, you'll assign players to other affiliates. Caleb Swanigan went down this year and he'll come back up. Is it by design in that you believe that your coaching staff, your organization has a better ability to develop and coach players than who you could potentially pay to send them to play with, or is it just more from a business model that hasn't made sense somewhere yet? It's a combination of both. Uh, you know, look, my background is player development. Um, you know, I was, I was mentored by Coach Gergerich, you know, who's 
the greatest of all time. I mean, he should be in the Hall of Fame, honestly, as a as a contributor. I mean, nobody has done more for the game. You know, ask a coach the next time you have him in that was in the league 20 years ago, how many guys were out working out before a game? You know, they were in the back smoking a cigarette, getting ready to go play. <laughs> so, you know, what, this culture that he's created, and and I do believe in that, and that's why, you know, one of the things we talk to Terry all the time is any, any coach in our staff is required to be able to do both, Woj. You've got to be in the conference room and you've got to be on the court. There is no, you know, I'm just, I'm an X's and O's guy or I'm just a workout guy. We want our, our coach, you know, coach Stotts runs his meetings an hour before the players get there. So there are players always know the coaches are out. They're ready to be on the floor. They're ready to make them better. I also believe in turning guys into pros. You know, it's really important for Caleb Swanigan and Jake Lehman and Pat Connaughton and these guys, Zach Collins to emulate and see what it takes to be a pro by watching guys like Ed Davis and Damian and Alfru Camino and Evan Turner every day. And they need to see that because because that's what they're building towards. They're not building towards averaging 25 and 15 somewhere in some small market in the, in the G League. Now, I do think guys need to play, and we're, we're doing a feasibility study right now. We, we had our G League team, you know, we had, a, we had a, a relationship on a hybrid model. It wasn't based in Portland. It was a flight away in Boise. And we lost positive control of our players when they went there, even though we had hired the coaches. We just didn't have a relationship with them every day. So I think, you know, we're looking to do something in the environs of Portland. Um, it's very hard to make it work business-wise. Um, it's a small market. The franchises are incredibly expensive right now. And we're trying to basically net out, is it really valuable making that kind of a cash outlay as opposed to keeping the commitment and knowing our coaches are working with our guys on a daily basis? Um, you know, like I said, I want to see the guys get playing time. That's why Caleb went down. He really wanted to go compete. You know, we, we had a schedule where we weren't practicing as much, but it's got to be in a model where the guys come to our building, they eat, they lift, they, they practice. Our, the the G League coaches are there on site, preferably when they're home, to to help out at practice, to be in the coaching meetings, to watch films, see how we play, and then later run their own practice or their own shoot around, and then that night have our guys go play basketball. But you know, on a level of you know, you're talking about a team that had CJ McCollum, most improved player in the league, guys like Alan Crabb, Will Barton. You know, we certainly haven't been hurt. Right. To date by not having a team, I do think there's more value we can glean from it when, when we do get one. We've just got to make, make sure it's the right situation. Do you think as much as anything, that's what the NBA is trying to figure out now when it's evaluating what the early entry rule is going to be and how one and done will look like? I mean, do you think sort of the ultimate question is, are we better equipped to have players at 18 years old that are our future or is college basketball? Are we, do we have a model? that is a better place for them overall than college? I mean, you think that's the question the league's sort of laboring over now? I do, and, and equipped is the word. You know, um, not just basketball-wise, but socially. Um, you, know, how, how, you know, how players fit in. You know, what's the vehicle for entry into, you know, into our league? Um, and, and I do think what, what you're going to see, I mean, you look, in the old days, we all point to the same guys that came – you know, straight out of ABCD camp or Nike and, you know, and blew up over the summer and then, you know, joined our league. And, you know, they were special. But, you know, our league has gotten younger. And I, I think there's got to be a vehicle for entry where we're confident because, you know, as the cap went up, the rookie scale deals went up. Um, you know, we, we're making a bigger commitment. I think you see teams cutting bait on players quicker. And I don't think we want that to be a result you know, when and if the rule ever gets changed is that teams giving up on guys after a year, a year and a half. And then where do these guys go? 
you know, and, and I, look, we have one of them right now, you know, Wade Baldwin's a two way guy on our roster. And, and I, and I think we've got to know that these guys are ready to come in and have a career, not make a team, not get drafted. I mean, those are just player acquisition vehicles. We need to know these guys that are capable of being pros that socially, in terms of how they handle them and comport themselves as players off the court and in the locker room. And then basketball wise, there's a way for them to be groomed. Now, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I think you see guys that go to college that get better. And then I think, you know, when we look at some of the rookies this year, you know, look at the difference in Kyle Kuzma's numbers as, as a pro and Donovan Mitchell's numbers as a pro and Zach Collins came off the bench at Gonzaga. So I do think we're still valuing what these guys can do at the NBA level more than what they're doing in terms of just overall production in college. Um, I think we've gotten away from that, you know, in terms of scouting. I don't know that guys are, um, as seduced by just college production. I think it's really about pro potential. And I, and I do think, you know, the question is going to be, what is the vehicle where we can best evaluate? Cause that's the key, Woj. You know, all we want is a fair sample size to make our decision. The hardest thing is to make a decision on a player and not know what criteria you're using. And, you know, we talk about, you know, stability and Western Conference and credit. That's how guys get fired. You know, you got 30, you got 30 teams, you got 30 staffs. Everybody does a really good job. And, you know, I think if you looked at the number of times guys missed on the draft, it's probably because they didn't really have enough information to make the decision on that player. And that's what we've got to figure out is how do we get the best sample size of a player's ability prior to making a decision to draft them? Today's episode of the Woj Pod is sponsored by SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has never been easier thanks to SeatGeek. They've created an amazing app and website that makes ticket buying easier than it's ever been. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you never miss a deal. And more importantly, you aren't wasting time. You can even set alerts for upcoming events and they'll let you know if ticket prices fall. And even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I will be using it in mid-March. The Bonnies will be in. I'm going to buy first and second round tickets. We deserve to be a 10th seed. We'll win a first round game. Uh, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. You get to see the full ticket price from start to finish, and they never surprise you with big fees when you check out. And now here's the best part about the SeatGeek process for all of you out there listening to the Woj Pod, my listeners who make their first SeatGeek purchase get a $20 rebate. And to get it, all you've got to do is download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code, then enter a promo code Woj, W-O-J. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It does not get any easier than that. So download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code Woj today. How different was your scouting life or how you spent your time in a year and the vast pool of players when you were in high schools versus the one and done coming in and the potential of having to go back into high school gyms on a full-time basis. Is it dramatic for an organization? It will be. Um, it's one of the things, you know, we've discussed, you know, um, just, just in general, just from an education standpoint with the league. Would you need a bigger staff? A hundred percent. I think you'd almost, you know, I look, when I came into the NBA, I came in as a coach. So the last two years of, you know, straight from high school to the pros, 
you know, I was coaching on Mike's staff. Um, my first, the first year was college happened to be my first year as director of player personnel. So, but <clears throat> you would absolutely need a big, I think you would almost have to look at high school. Like we look at Europe, Yeah, you know, you would have to have, you know, guys in different areas. Um, you would, you would really, you know, you'd have to dial in on these guys. And, you know, I think one of the things that we've lost a little bit, um, was the infrastructure. You know, I think one of the things we have to discuss is, you know, you had, a, you had a guy like Sonny Vaccaro, you had George Raveling and Nike. They had built an infrastructure where we didn't have to provide infrastructure. We just had to go to the events. Um, you know, they, they dealt with the grassroots level in terms of, you know, AAU and traveling coaches that were in the community that ran programs that sent players, whether it was to Adidas or Nike to those camps. So you could be really confident. You know, and I watched it even though when I was working at ABCD and coaching or, you know, going to the big time to watch guys just for the sake of watching them. And you saw the NBA guys there. You could be pretty confident that if you got to ABCD camp and there were 200 kids there, they were the best 200 kids in the country from freshman year through senior year. And you had a body of work. You know, you had young guys like OJ Mayo that came as freshmen and Lance Stevenson and LeBron and Sebastian Telfair. And, you know, it wasn't just one week of camp when they were seniors. This wasn't a showcase camp. It was a player development. It was a coaching camp. And you got to see them for four summers. And then you got to follow up at the big time in Vegas and watch them play there. And, you know, then in August at the, at the you know, the Basketball Congress events and the Nike events. And so I think you have to trust. I think it's got to be less about running to a local high school to watch a guy play against, you know, Ben and Connor. <laughs> for those not, let's say it's our kids, right? You know, then seeing them go head to head. I mean, I think back in those days when you could watch OJ play against Derrick Rose and, you know, and, and DeAndre Jordan play against Dwight Howard. And, you know, I, I think that's what you brought to the table was a fair sample size where you could make a decision. And, you know, a lot of that was, you know, back in those days, even when you were allowed to attend those events, mm-hmm. Woj, you know, when we drafted DeAndre Jordan, it had nothing to do with what happened to Texas A&M. That had to do con- strictly with ABCD camp. Hmm. That, that was it. What he did at ABCD camp over the years, the growth, when he slipped into the second round, that was a pound the table. We are taking this guy or you may as well fire all of us because we know what this kid is regardless of he had a tough run because he was hmm. playing behind a senior at Texas A&M. He was sick during the Big 12 tournament. You know, he, he had signed with the other coach. You know, he had signed – you know, with, um, with somebody else right. and then played for, you know, for Turge. And so, it, so there were so many factors that came into DeAndre slipping in the draft, but the biggest factor of where he ended up and the confidence level the organization had in him was because of a baseline we had established for him long before he ever hit a college campus. And the new grassroots, like the new, you know, ABCD camp or Nike camp. It's probably going to be USA Basketball, where they have the 16 and under, 17 and under, 18 and under groups that go to Colorado Springs. That may be the centralized place to see these guys, right? It might. and But there's fewer of them. But I think one of the things that worries me is it, it's got to be a fair market. And I think what the competition between Adidas and Nike or Reebok and Adidas or Reebok and Nike or whatever it was when it was, when it was Sonny and George mm-hmm. – the competitive nature of them trying to get the best players ensured they got the best players. There wasn't as many politics involved. And, and, I, and I think that the danger of having a sole body bring players in and, and, and rank them and establish who the best players are is always going to give people pause because USA Basketball isn't competing against another body to bring in the best player regardless of affiliation, regardless of connection, regardless of who's recruiting them in college, 
regardless of who they play for in high school. And I think that's one of the things we can't lose sight of was that competition bred excellence in those camps and in those tournaments in the summers. And even, you know, even back in the day when the round ball competed against the McDonald's game, you know, when you went, I mean, I coached in the round ball, you know, LeBron's senior year. And, you know, the fact that, you know, there were guys that went to round ball, which was Adidas that didn't go to, you know, McDonald's and vice versa. It upped everybody's game because McDonald's couldn't overlook a kid relative to shoe affiliation or high school coach or something that ended up in round ball and was better because they knew that they still had to get the best 24 kids into the McDonald's game. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring, posting your position to job sites, and waiting for the right people to see it? ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of the employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just a single day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj, W-O-J. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Neil, you mentioned the Clippers, and your run there was remarkable. Given where you started, you became an interim GM when Mike Dunleavy had been GM coach. They just made up, installed him just as the coach and you moved in the front office and became the full-time GM and ultimately made some deals that, you know, really transformed that roster until really this year where that roster has started to be disassembled with Chris Paul in that sign and trade and then Blake Griffin being traded. There was a window of time where you were working on the Chris Paul trade as were several other teams trying to get a deal done. And it was a time where Carmelo Anthony and Chauncey Billups had been traded to New York, and ultimately the Knicks were going to, after that deal, amnesty, use the amnesty on Chauncey. And I remember talking to Chauncey on a Saturday morning one day. He was very determined that no team would put a waiver claim in on him because he was headed to Miami. He was going to go play with the Heat. He had his bags packed, but he needed a team not to claim him. And... um he and I were just talking about this. I read this quote back to him recently and we were laughing, but here's what he said to me. He said, <laughs> I can't even read it without laughing. I'm tired of being the good guy. I'm tired of being viewed as the guy. After a while, you just kind of get taken advantage of in these situations. I've been known as a leader and I am a leader, but a leader could be disruptive as he can be productive, especially when you carry a strong voice and people rally around you. This is about me now. This is about me and teams should know that right now. And so he went on this two, three-minute rant about that basically I am just going to be a complete asshole wherever I go if you claim me. And so he went on this rant, and he read that, and he kept going, and finally he stopped. I don't even remember if I asked him a question. He just started when I called him. And at the end, there was like this pause, and he goes, 
do you think anyone's going to buy this? <laughs> and, well, thankfully, 29 other teams <laughs> did. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, you're a little bit like the pro wrestler who's like the good guy and just hit his tag team partner over the head with a chair. And everyone's trying to, I said, I said, Chauncey, everybody's trying to figure out, is that blood real or is that fake? Like, is this guy really turned to a bad guy? So you did put a claim in at a time when you're negotiating. Now, he even wanted to come to L.A. less, especially because Mo Williams was there and he thought you might be getting a Chris Paul deal done. What do you remember about as – 